This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. Well, that first round of NHL playoffs has to go down as one of the most surprising in recent years owing to all the upsets, uh, fellas. All four division winners are eliminated, and all four wildcard teams are advancing to the second round. I can't believe any of this has gone on to this extent. AJ, our favorite clubs are both lost, leaving a sour taste in both of our uh, mouths, and I'm glad we have Matt Kay along for the ride today to help us through this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, Matt will be kind of the, the... the one happy guy here, he's still uh, high off that draft result and, and the Rangers getting that uh, that number two pick there. So uh, obviously you and I are a little bummed out. Um, but, you know, uh, I wasn't the least bit surprised that my club got bounced. Maybe I didn't expect four games and I, I obviously wanted more, was hoping for more. But uh, their performance this year didn't leave me shocked to say the least you might be a little bit more uh, in a in a state of confusion there as to what happened uh, although boston beating tampa or i'm sorry toronto in game seven isn't exactly a surprise in those parts is it all right be quiet <laughs> but we want to welcome that back matt k you can follow him he's an outstanding follow at matt underscore striker underscore uh, a graduate of the WWE, both as a performer and an announcer. But now you're making a big splash in the fantasy sports space, and uh, we're thrilled to have you along for the ride, Matt. Your quick thoughts on the opening round. Well, uh, I, I'm wiping egg off my face. Um, and our, our predictions were just, you know, for all the inroads I'm making in the fantasy world with my uh, Strike Zone pod and all the other stuff, a lot of people are looking around and going, did anyone see this first round coming? And I, I feel glad that it, I wasn't the only one that was just blindsided by these results. Yeah, well, like I said, four division winners out, four wild cards advancing. We've never seen that before, Matt. So, uh, well, let's get uh, AJ in here to remind our listeners how to reach out to us, and then we'll kick it off with a review of the first round. Yeah, as always, you know, if you have uh, questions throughout the week about lineups, uh, daily lineups at this point, fantasy hockey or hockey in general, uh, you can always tweet at us. I'll, I'll throw another shout out there for Matt uh, at Matt underscore striker underscore. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and then Paul the Statsman at Statsman 22. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick look at each of the eight series that uh, just finished last night. And uh, then we'll go into a second round preview. But let's uh, let's have uh, each of us uh, give our thoughts of each of the series that went down in the first round, beginning with that colossal upset, Tampa versus Columbus. The Jackets sweeping this one in four straight. For my money, though, uh, there were some telltale signs early that that uh, caused me concern for Tampa, and that is Bobrovsky. We all know this guy's an all-world NHL uh, goalie, and he can get as hot as anybody, and one of the best in the game did just that. And at the same time, Andre Veseleski tur- turned in uh, the worst four-game stretch of his season, so those two events conspired heavily in Columbus's favor. And also, uh, we, we found that Hedman, Victor Hedman, was nicked up a little bit and wasn't even able to play for two games in this series, so that swung the defensive edge heavily into Columbus's favor. 
So those were two telltale signs for me uh, that kind of tilted things in, in Columbus's favor. And we finally found Matt Duchesne playing at a high level, too. So, Matt, those were all telltale signs that, that told me that Columbus was going to be a very tough out for Tampa very early on. Yeah, listen, a hot goalie can, can can ride you all the way, and now's the time to get hot. But what really struck me was, and this was all season long too, the depth of Columbus. You really saw it in this series. Tampa never got out of the gate. Columbus's power play, I think they were 50% on the power play. I know last time I gave you a bunch of stats, I'm going to stop doing that. But just <laughs> the, the depth and the way they were rolling the lines, I mean, my gosh, that series just never even started. It was over. And AJ, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'll, I'll echo Matt's uh, statement, you know, with some stats here. You know, you look at their their scoring, it's pretty spread out here. You've got Matt Duchesne leading the way, but only with seven points. Um, and then Artemi Panarin at five, Wierenski at five, Jones at five. So they're getting blue line scoring here as well. And it's really stretched out. You've got 15 different players that got a point in that series and uh, you know uh, with one of them being Adam Glendening. So that just says a lot to how stretched out they were. And, and so I think that that really shows Matt's point. And yet yeah, Tampa hit a bad slump at a bad time. AJ, you got to help me out. Lead, lead me into the Boston Toronto thing. I'm going to go third here, Matt. You got to, you guys both got to prop me up. Come back off the ledge. Come back. <laughs> Yeah, so the Bruins series, uh, you know, I said at the start that, you know, this would be a seven-game series either way, uh, and the Bruins took it 4-3 in the final there. You know, I, I think what we saw was two pretty evenly matched teams. You know, there there were a couple games, unfortunately, Game 7 being one of them that, that were a little one-sided, but even the score lines, uh, though some of them, you know, the first two games were 4-1, uh, one for the Maple Leafs, one for the Bruins, but even those games were a lot closer than that score line kind of dictated. And so I think you really had two pretty evenly matched teams in a pretty physical uh, round. I do think that Kadri suspension hurt more than, than I think even uh, Toronto fans or, or even the Toronto coaching staff might have wanted to admit kind of stretched them out a little bit. Uh, and really I, you know, it's hard to blame a guy who's as good as he is, but Austin Matthews kind of just, fell apart here and simply wasn't good enough in my opinion uh in this series and so i don't know if you guys saw it differently but you know boston's leaders did uh what they always do uh, pretty consistent pretty solid a physical game and then uh you know toronto's top guys didn't produce and, and their depth got stretched uh to a point that it, it just didn't work out for them that's what i saw matt how about you Oh, Brunzi, I thought about you on Easter Sunday. I really did. I was watching the game, and I was just thinking about you, and I I said a little prayer. That's um, awesome. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, the, the Leaf penalty kill was the second worst out of all the teams in the playoffs in, in the first round, and they gave up the second most amount of goals. It, it, it just – it must have hurt you so much to watch that because you were so close they took it to seven but the numbers say that should have been over in five yeah the five on five uh, situation matt have favored the leafs significantly during the first five games of the series boston kind of turned that around in the last two but i want to pick up on uh on uh, aj's point about the cadre situation at the outset of this series guys i thought the leafs main advantage was down the middle of the ice and that evaporated when that in incident happened but matt I i'm gonna put it to you if it's me and you on a line we've played together all season long and you're seeing me get hammered by the same guy incident after incident the referee's not calling a penalty at some point you're gonna want to stick your put your stick through one guy's ear hole to defend me won't you wow you've played with me before haven't you <laughs> I mean, i've played and i'm not the big guy in the world, but I don't mind getting into it. I, I have made my living getting into it. Yes, 100%. I'm going to come across the rink and I'm going to let someone know that they cannot bang you around like that. I agree. And so that to me put uh, put Kadri in a, in a vulnerable state in terms of 
Does he respond? If not, what happens? Do the Bruins run, run roughshod over the Leafs physically? Because the referees in that second game put their whistles away. Uh, I, I think that was a real turning point in the series. But to your point, Matt, too, the Leafs had the lead in this series three separate times, and they couldn't close the deal. And uh, really, game six was the issue. I, I thought that that was the Leafs' chance to win. When they didn't, I knew they were, they were lights out in game seven. And uh, so I was kind of preparing myself for that outcome. But uh, I'm, I'm pleased that you would come to my aid, my friend. And I know AJ would do the same thing. I do the same for both of you guys. That's why we're so tight on this show. Let's go to the third series, uh, Washington Capitals versus Carolina. That wrapped up last night. And yeah, once again, the wildcard team jumped all over the division leader. And uh, this one was a case where Peter Mrazek performed really, really well in the nets for Carolina. They, they kind of went with a two-headed goalie th- situation, but they uh, chose to go with Mrazek in, in this playoff run, and uh, it was a signature moment for this guy's uh, career so far and delivering the goods. And, uh, boy, the playoff warrior, Justin Williams, he created something with this band, a bunch of jerks, and uh, they're riding this. It's a really a rallying cry for this team. And when the, when the game went to overtime last night, I, I thought Carolina was all over the caps, and it was just a matter of time before they wrapped it up. And so I wasn't shocked at all at the outcome. And... Uh, Really, the the key thing for me is Carolina in that dressing room had that rallying point from the beginning of the series, and it really propped them up. They have a, a deep defense that we highlighted that gave them a bit of an edge on the back end over the Caps, and uh, they rode that combination to victory in this series, in my opinion. Matt, your thoughts? Honestly, I just I didn't see this coming from from a number standpoint. Carolina had the third worst power play out of everyone in the in the tournament or in the in the playoffs. I, I was crestfallen to see the Capitals lose. And, and to your point, yeah, a guy like Justin Williams just seems to do it. And look, I'm a Ranger fan. I loathe the Islanders. I wanted to see the Caps take on the Islanders and beat them up. Now it looks like the Islanders might make their way into the conference final. AJ, <laughs> help our pal out here. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll uh, get into that. It might not be so uh, so shut and uh, dry as you as you think. There, a little teaser for later. But yeah, you know, the thing I saw in this series, um, you know, you mentioned Mrazek's numbers being uh, pretty decent, but actually, uh, throughout the whole seven game series, they aren't that good. He ranked 16th uh, overall. The only starter that did worse than him. Andre Vasilevsky uh, in terms of save percentage. So that says a lot. So the difference maker here is you look at the home and away split in the three games at home, his goals against average was one with a 0.959 save percentage away. It doesn't look quite so good. 3.56 and 0.861 there for the save percentage. And so I think that's something that will need to be addressed going forward. But that game uh, seven last night just went long enough both those guys battled really well. Uh, it was phenomenal to watch double OT. Obviously that only happens when you've got solid net mining there. And yeah, uh, as you said, Paul, I think the Canes are rallying around something uh, with there and, and, and have that rallying cry. And, and it might not be all bad news uh, for Matt when it comes to that Islanders series. So we'll get right into uh, the last round uh, for that Islanders. They went up against my penguins, got a quick sweep there. Uh, And what I, you know, what I saw overall there in in that uh, scenario is that game one uh, was the defining moment for me uh, in what I saw. Yes, the penguins were on the road and and could have bounced back from that, but an overtime loss after kind of battling back all game, staying in it. uh, You know, every time there was a one, uh, you know, one goal lead for the Islanders, Pittsburgh uh, got it back. and, And obviously that carried into overtime. And I think that just took the air out of their sails. They were never really uh, able to get right. I think a lot has been said about the fact that the team uh, didn't really commit to playing uh, tough hockey like they had to when they didn't have Chris Letang uh, and Evgeny Malkin in the lineup. And that's really what pushed them through in March playing a a defensively minded style of game. And that was completely lost against the Islanders blue line turnovers, uh, which are, you know, sin number one to any hockey coach were abundant everywhere. And this was just a poor looking team. Now I don't want to take anything away from the Islanders when the Penguins did get their chances. Robin Lerner was absolutely phenomenal, has the best save percentage of any postseason netminder right now at 0.956. And so really, uh, I think the Islanders did well with their opportunities, but this to me was a series lost by Pittsburgh. Uh, Matt, did you see the Islanders win this one or Pittsburgh lose it? 
I hate to say it. The Islanders did it with their PK. I mean, they had the second best penalty kill out of all teams in the first round. And and you mentioned Lanier. It's, they, the Islanders gave up the least amount of goals out of any team in the first round. And, and that's against Pittsburgh. Like, I just couldn't believe it. But I think part of this is my Regency bias or lack thereof, because I haven't believed in this team all year. I just refuse to. I'm going in with eyes wide shut. But they they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. They really did. Guys, I, I have to say that uh, Pittsburgh's goaltending was was something that we kind of talked about all year long, AJ, as a bit of a, uh, an issue all, all season with Matt Murray being a little nicked up at times, but really not playing at the top of his game for significant stretches. And I think that bit them in the butt uh, again in this round. Leonard clearly outplayed him. We know that. But if he would have narrow, had that gap narrower than it was, it might have given the Pens a bit of a fighting chance to get back in this series. But when that disparity continued over the four games, I didn't, th- didn't like the Pens' ch- chances early on. And you've got to credit the fact that they got scoring from uh, their big players delivered. Uh, jo- Jordan Eberle is a guy I got a, a lot of time for, fellas. He's got a real high hockey IQ and it showed its, itself in this series. He led the team in scoring with six points, four goals for an outstanding first round for him. Matthew Barzell showed off his playmaking with five helpers. Val Philpola is kind of their their Swiss army knife here. They plug him in throughout the roster and he delivered some good playmaking as well. And really it's that strength down the middle and that depth down the middle that proved to be a little bit decisive because they kind of negated the one-two punch of the Penguins, didn't they? And uh, their defense, uh, a little bit maligned in terms of not having that star power, uh, did did the job. They were very serviceable in front of Leonard and, and really continued what the winning formula had been for the Islanders all season long in terms of the defensive structure being solid enough to hold back that potent Pittsburgh offense and uh, hold them off and really swept them away like nobody's business. Let's take a look at the Western Conference, guys, and uh, the upsets didn't stop there with Nashville and Dallas. Uh, when uh, when I looked at this series at the outset, I gave the, the Stars a fighting chance because of their defensive structure. So this is one upset that I did see coming and got it right, and uh, I think you guys were a little bit more on the fence than me in this one. But I, I like Dallas's defensive structure. I like the fact that they have a bishop in the nets, and, and uh, he had an outstanding season, was rewarded with a nomination for the Vezina Trophy as the, the league's top goalie, uh, fully on merit and he just continued to do what he did in the regular season to prop up this team defensively and we saw uh, uh, the emergence of a couple of youngsters on that Dallas blue line and uh, they kind of negated the Nashville's biggest advantage which we thought was in the back end of the ice too so uh, that left the uh, the tipping of the scales to the forwards and that's the one area where I give Dallas uh, uh, maybe a slight edge because they have the star power uh, advantage over Nashville in my opinion and it showed over this six game series Matt uh, what was your assessment here? Well, part of the Zuccarello deal from New York to Dallas was that if Dallas gets through the second round, uh, New York's first round pick uh, comes into play. So I'm rooting for Dallas. I'm rooting for Dallas in the second round, and then I want them to lose because I don't want the pick to be too low. But uh, what struck me is is the special teams. Dallas's penalty kill was just exceptional. I think it might have even been perfect. have to go back and check the stats. And special teams and hot goaltending is really what matters. We can sit here and pontificate all we want about these guys. and It's going to come down to a hot special teams and a hot goalie, and and Dallas just just pulled it off. And I'm, I'm really happy as a Ranger fan. And, and now I'm intrigued for the next round. And AJ? Yeah, so I'll, I'll pull it up here for you, Matt. It looks like uh, Dallas took eight penalties uh, and killed all eight of them off. And that's not uh, that's pretty consistent. There were uh, eight different teams that took eight penalties uh, over that stretch. And so uh, I, I think we're we're pretty much uh, good there uh, in terms of how that shook out. And so, yeah, 100 percent PK uh, is hard to complain about that too often. And so. You know, the other thing that that I'll note is, you know, the lack of uh, forward production for Nashville. You know, they have a ton of guys who should be able to contribute in Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg. Paul, you've been hard, uh, rightfully so, on Kyle Turris all season long. Well, they're leading forward scorer. Rocco Grimaldi, who's, uh, you know, kind of big credit uh, in the league is that he's the shortest player uh, in the league. And so that's uh, about the only thing that he's really known for. Uh, And so that just really speaks uh, in in my mind to what happened here uh, in Nashville. Just no forward production for the Predators. I I thought uh, uh, Rene was uh, phenomenal. I thought he did a a great job, um, but just it was too much and he didn't get any help. And so really, I, I... 
you know, give Dallas credit. Their forwards produced when they needed to. Uh, the goaltending by Bishop was solid as well, but uh, Nashville really uh, let them let themselves down here. So uh, we'll head into Winnipeg as the next series. And again, you know, this might be a, a similar vein here. I, I think uh, the Jets uh, kind of let themselves down here as well um, with some guys that 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 struggled a bit. I think it talks a, a, a titch about some of their depth uh, concerns. You know, when you've got Shifley and Wheeler, yep, five points is, is certainly fine. Connor got five points as well. Um, Dustin Bufflin steps up with eight. So a number of big guys, but it really drops off uh, after that. Kevin Hayes didn't give them the production that I think they were hoping for out of him. And then St. Louis kind of had that the opposite. You know, they they were a little more even. Uh, they got production out of a guy like Oscar Sundquist, who who's a little bit of a, you know, quote unquote unknown uh, over there. And, uh, of course, the net mining as well. You know, Jordan Bennington continued to, to perform really well, had the one bad game three uh, when he gave up the six there. But other than that, he was really solid for them. Uh, not quite up to the same level as some of the other uh, guys that we've mentioned, but uh, certainly good enough to get them through. So uh, a, another tight series that I think could have gone either way. Uh, I, I thought Winnipeg would pull it out, but uh, obviously that didn't happen. St. Louis uh, riding, you know, the youngster there in the nets and, and it could uh, see them go even further. So, uh, Matt, what did you see in this series as, as far as the, the you know, who had the advantage where? It was tight. It was tight all the way. You look at goals for and goals against, you know, those two teams were neck and neck. I, I think it really came down to to the special teams again. I'm going to sing this song the entire time. Uh, Winnipeg just they were at the middle or at the bottom of every single metric as far as uh, goals for goals against power play percentage pk percentage and and they just can't do that especially when st louis like we said is riding a hot young goaltender and and we'll talk about this in the next series i think when a team gets magic and catches fire now's the time to do it and i think st louis has a little bit of that playoff magic right now yeah, guys, uh, this was the second series that I thought could go in favor of the underdog. So, I, I mean, you guys got the Boston-Toronto series right, but I got this one right and the last one right over the two of you. So I'm, uh, I'm going to kind of pat myself on the back here for looking at St. Louis's situation and saying this was a team that was not just riding a two-week high going into the playoffs. They were the top team in hockey over the second half of the season. Ever since that made they made that change in goals, something really clicked here, and, and it showed itself all over the ice. They had depth at center. You mentioned uh, that the performance at center by Sunquist. well, Bo- Bozak was a significant factor as well, uh, combining with line mates to perform one of the late game heroics in one of the games that they stole. So between Riley, Sunquist, and Bozak, they had a real three-headed monster in the middle of the ice that kind of offset the, the big men that, Phil, uh, that Winnipeg puts in the middle of the ice too. So that was a big advantage there. I think Hellebuck performed okay, but Bennington did outplay him. So that's two advantages. And then Alex Petrangelo reminded everybody that this guy's an all-world defenseman. He's played for Team Canada over and over in his career. And he showed why, again, logging almost 25 minutes a game, leading the Blues offense with six helpers. And Jaden Schwartz was a uh, the, the man uh, late in this series uh, scoring four straight goals to uh, win a couple of games for, for the Blues as well, almost single-handedly in terms of the offensive output. So uh, all hands were on deck for the Blues, and I don't think you can say the same. AJ, you did a nice job of highlighting the fact that a couple of guys did fall short for the Jets, and really, it was a telltale sign at the end of the day in favor of the Blues, and they moved on to the next round. As did Colorado in a, in a shocking upset again, that neither none of us uh, saw coming, and uh, I'm at a loss to explain it. Really, Calgary had an edge over uh, Colorado, in my opinion, all over the ice when we uh, took a look at this series at the outset. And uh, Colorado turned around a lot of those advantages, particularly with a surprise move in the Nets too, starting their number two guy, and he outperformed the uh, the Calgary counterpart Mike Smith. And I know AJ's going to have uh, a few words about Mike Smith's performance, I'm sure. And we're all wondering why they might not have changed changed to uh, their number two guy at any one point. But uh, kudos for Colorado for rising to the occasion, and and boy, uh, they rode the coattails of. Uh, of their big guns all the way in this one that was a one-line team for much of the year but Nate McKinnon was on fire in this one and Rantanen rode shotgun and uh, they rolled over Calgary four four games to one Matt uh, what did you see in terms of telltale signs in this series 
I, I saw the amount of goals against that Colorado gave up. They had the third least amount of goals against that of any team in the first round. And that just was not something that anyone saw coming. And, and like you said, the, the, the names that were supposed to step up did. And then again, one or two other guys that you didn't expect stepped up. And I just think it, it was all part of the trend of the first round of 2018-2019. Yes, Colorado wins because that's what seems to be happening now. AJ. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- I think the problem uh, for Calgary was that Smith performed so incredibly well in that game one. I mean, I will give him all kinds of props for that one. There were crazy saves that, you know, 95% of the time would have gone into the net, but he stopped him 26 saves and a shutout. And so I think they just expected him to turn it around and, and maybe get back on track. Now, for my money, I would have maybe considered a change after the six goals allowed, but uh, in game three, but again, you kind of hedged a little bit. You're like, well, we allowed 56 shots on goal. Hard to really blame him for that. And and I certainly can understand that uh, thinking game four, you know, was more of the same. He saw 52 shots on goal. And so uh, I, th- I think that first game performance and then the high volume of shots kind of factored into those decisions. Now, I will also say it's come out after the season that uh, Riddish was dealing with a knee injury all season long. Um, and so maybe that flared up a little bit and was a factor as well. But I think uh, a change probably should have been made, but there were a number of kind of contributing factors here. Uh, and I think you guys hit the nail on the head with everything else. I won't, uh, you know, belabor the point there. Colorado stars played well, they got solid net mining out of Grubauer. And so, uh, all things went well for them there for, for a quick, uh, five game exit here. In terms of the next series, this was one of the highlights of the playoffs. I expected this to be one of the best series heading in. Vegas at San Jose goes seven games in what has to go down as one of the greatest NHL games we've seen uh, in a very long time, if not all time, uh, in that game seven. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of discussions. I'll bring it up quickly uh, with that five-minute cross-check penalty. I think, unfortunately, what we saw here is referees making a call based on the outcome, not actually the penalty here. And now, granted, I am a big Joe Pavelski fan, the former Wisconsin Badger. Uh, you know, he's he's very well-liked here in the Madison area, and, and uh, you know, it sounds like around the league as well. And it's unfortunate that happened to him, but the cross check didn't cause that injury. Let's be clear about that. If you watch it again, the cross check pretty harmless in, in terms of what you normally see off a of face off. It's the secondary contact that's made uh, with Stastny, not anything illegal, just, you know, Stastny is trying to get out to the point. That's his job off the face off track down the puck. And, you know, Pavelski gets caught in a bad situation here. And so uh, it's unfortunate. And the refs made a call based on the outcome, not the actual incident itself. And I think that's something the league needs to address a little mini rant for us here uh, (laughs) on the show. But in terms of the entire series, you know, yes. Was that a pivotal uh, factor in that game? Sure. But they had plenty of opportunities to try and shut this down. The the Knights had a 3-1 series lead. They shouldn't be giving up four goals on on the power play there anyway to begin with. Um, So, you know, there's some factors there. They let that goal in on game six. You know I love Marc-Andre Fleury, but that was a bad one for him to give up in double OT uh, in game six there. So there were plenty of opportunities. They really let themselves down here and let San Jose stay in it, stay around, and then rally around their captain and, and, you know, get the win there in game seven. But Uh, At the end of the day, I think that's one of the best games we've seen and really was a great way to kind of cap off uh, this first round series that's been filled with mayhem to have a game like that. And then you have last night's double OT as well. So uh, really a great way to end. I think our our recap here uh, as I'll let you guys throw your thoughts in. Matt, we'll go to you first. Yeah, wild, wild west. I mean, just a a total shootout. These teams were one and three, respectively, in goals for and goals against. Uh, Vegas's power play was clicking. But it all comes down to that last game. And poor, poor Flower, poor Marc-Andre Fleury. They're going to chase him out of Las Vegas when, when last year he was the darling. Just to watch the unraveling. To watch that happen, because I saw someone put on social media when the Sharks were, were down, I think, 3 nothing in that game. It was a uh, no-goal Sharks, shark, shark, no-goal shark, shark. <laughs> it was a play on, on, on a children's song. And then just as I saw that tweet, bang, here they come. And back to my point about magic, if 
anyone has magic right now, it's the San Jose Sharks. They are riding high. No matter where they are now, they don't think they can lose. And that makes this club even more dangerous than they were at the start of the playoffs. Yeah, for me, guys, it was the star power on both sides that made this compelling viewing. Uh, It was great to see. It was like a heavyweight bout back in the early days of my affinity for boxing. Uh, I was a big fan of Muhammad Ali, Joe Fraser, and all those guys as a kid. And that's what this series kind of reminded me of, a total slugfest in terms of the offenses just trading punches. But I want to pick up on that that major incident that turned the series in Game 7. And I know a great friend of the show, Daniel Negreanu at Real Kid Poker, uh, was apoplectic on social media about that call. I'm going to say this. I thought it was the right call. And uh, I want you guys to challenge me if you wish, but I think it was the right call because of the outcome. They took out the captain of the San Jose Sharks with that hit, whether by accident or by... It was not deliberate. There's no question about that. But the outcome was such that an injury was called by the contact, and that's why the major was... was, uh, put into play in terms of the call but then it's on the 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 knights to defend a lot better than they did i can't remember the last time any team gave up four goals on a five minute power play so they can say the referee made a bad call but they defended horribly and uh, you know what the flower didn't really do his job in the nets either as aj was reluctant to say and i'm, I'm proud of you for for mentioning a partner because i know you love this guy in the nets and he has to take his share of the blame but i think you got to back off on the referee's call on this one because the incident did cause an injury and by rule that is why the major was called, in my opinion. And, uh, guys, I'd like you to chime in on that point particularly. Matt, I'll let you go first if, if you have any thoughts there. Uh, you, you brought up a good point, Age, that it was the secondary contact that caused the problem. And the only thing I can equate it to, and this might be a little morose, but if you get into a fight on the street and you punch a guy and he hits his head on the curb on the way down, you go to jail for manslaughter or homicide. It wasn't the punch that did it. It was the secondary effect. So so to uh, to Paul's point, that is the rule, and, and it was the right call, even though people in Vegas are going to say, no, it wasn't, because it essentially lost the series for them. Well, I'll, I'll take that analogy a little bit. You know, if, if, if you punch a guy in the face and on his way down, somebody else kicks his legs out from under him and then he hits his head, uh, it's not necessarily anymore the punch that caused the initial situation. And, and that's kind of the way I saw it here. I think it's a two-minute penalty. I don't think it goes unwarranted uh, for a penalty, but five minutes felt uh, a little over the top for me. And the other point that I'll bring up that – that you know, I've seen a lot of talk about is that neither referee put their hand up after the initial uh, incident indicating that there was going to be a penalty here. So obviously they determined that there was something that happened. I heard one report that they told uh, the, the Knights that there was a cross check to the face. That clearly didn't happen based on the review. I heard another report that they told them that it was, oh, it doesn't look good. So now you're getting into refs making calls based on optics and what they think may have happened when they weren't originally going to call a penalty on it. And so that's what kind of gets it for me uh, is those situations. If they had immediately put a hand up and said, yep, there was definitely a cross check here. We're going to call that. I think that's one thing. I think this was all reactionary, and that's kind of what gets it for me. I, I think you could give a two-minute penalty here for the cross-check, uh, and I'd be fine with that. Although, uh, as I as I pointed out, cross-checks off the face-off here on a defensive loss uh, aren't exactly uncommon, and I believe our friend Daniel Negreanu even tweeted out an example of that happening last night that went uncalled and the player, you know, there wasn't an injury. He didn't get hurt. So it didn't get called at all. Um, So for me, it was a two minute, not a five. Um, But again, as we've all said, I think the, uh, the issue here was the penalty kill by the golden Knights more than anything else. All right, fellas, great review of that round. Let's uh, dive into the second round preview Four series to come and uh, compelling matchups that none of us saw coming. So I'm going to be interested to hear what you guys think about all these series. And uh, I'll share my thoughts as well. And uh, we'll do the same thing as we did in the first uh, round preview where we highlight the forward matchup, the defense and the goalies. And I'll lead it off with a look at the Boston Columbus series. This is two physical clubs matching up against one another in the season series. It was three late season games that uh, Boston took the edge two games to one. They outscored Columbus 12 to 10 overall. And when I look at the forward ranks here, 
I think this is a pretty much a bit of a saw-off uh, when I look at Columbus's top guys offensively. Matt Duchesne waking up, Artemi Panarin waking up, and on the defense, they've got, they've got help too offensively. But let's stick with the forwards and continue this analysis and say guys like Cam Atkinson uh, factored in the first round, and I think he's going to be a factor in this round as well. Pierre-Luc Dubois, a rangy center who was a high draft pick, coming into his own this, la- this last season and giving them a solid number two behind Matt Duchesne. That's going to give them a- an advantage in the middle of the ice over the Boston Bruins. I think uh, they're going to have to rely on their big guns, but boy, those guys seem to deliver game in, game out. Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and uh, and uh, the European winger Pasternak, they are outstanding forwards that uh, compi- comprise a line that may not have an equal in hockey, but it's a bit of a drop-off to the second unit when David Krejci, who had a solid first round with five points, he's had a bit of a rotating group of people uh, mi- mixing and matching with him in terms of the forward ranks, and uh, they've kind of dropped David Backus out of the mix. I think he's going to be jumping back in because of the physicality that I expect in this series, and so I think he's a name that didn't really factor in the first round that could be a factor in this second round when I look at the forward ranks. Uh, I'm going to go to Matt here and have you uh, come in with your analysis of the of the forward matchup in this series. I, th- I think it's even. It is, and it's just the depth of Columbus is what really strikes me, but it's just the grit and the temerity of Boston. And uh, for whatever it's worth, I'm looking on NHL.com right now, and I'm looking at the goals against. And the Bruins gave up 17 goals against in their series, and Columbus gave up eight so uh, it, goals may be very hard to come by, and this is going to be tough, but I, I can't really make a, a prediction, to be honest with you. I just think it's, it's going to be tough to come by goals, and it might be some of these unsung heroes that are going to get the, the game winners in, in each of the games. And AJ? Yeah, so I'll highlight one guy that I think could uh, be that kind of unsung hero for each team. So for Columbus, uh, I'm looking at Ryan Dezingo. Uh Didn't do much in the first round. Uh, no, Didn't do anything, actually. Zero points. Um, but possibly going to be playing some second-line minutes with uh, Duchesne. I think that's going to pair up well for them. On the other side, I think it's Marcus Johansson uh, factoring in for Boston as as that third-line winger. Had just the one point. Again, uh, I think he can definitely do more uh, moving forward. So I think these guys are kind of X-factors in the forward groupings here that can maybe kind of decide this series uh, a little bit and, and might factor in because I agree. I think other than that, these forward compliments are, are pretty evenly matched up defensively. You know, it's hard not to give the slight edge to Boston when you've got a veteran like Zdeno Chara uh, in there and a combination of a youngster like Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grzelich, uh and, uh, you know, Tory Krug as well. But on the flip side, Columbus is no slouches on the blue line. You've got Wierinski and Jones who have been one of the best uh, offensive pairings here. My concern after them uh, is is the depth here. Now, it sounds like Marcus Nutavara could come back, and, and that'll allow them to get either Dean Kukan uh, or Adam Glendening out of the lineup. I, I think those guys uh, are a little bit overmatched here. They're not going to have Ryan Murray or Adam McQuaid for the first two games, so that stretches their, their situation out a little bit. So because of those injuries uh, and the lack of depth, I give the edge to Boston, but this is a razor-thin edge, in my opinion, uh, on the blue line because of those top two guys in Wierinski and Jones. That's the blue line as I see it. How about you, Matt? Yeah, uh, it's the same thing to your point. Uh, there, There is a, an edge to, to Boston because of the – the issues that you made and also the fact that after the Wernskis and the Joneses, you know, where do you go? Um, I just think that that someone's going to get into Bob's head. He's a head case. One of those Boston forwards are going to do something to try to take this game from the ice to the mental. And I think that's where the Bruins may have the advantage. I look at this defense matchup, guys, and I see the star power of Columbus's defense on one pairing, but I love the spread that Boston has in terms of the depth that they put out there. Zdeno Charas turned back the clock. He had an outstanding series against Maple Leafs, no question about it, and he prevents... prevents 
provides the defensive yin to Charlie McAvoy's yang. And the same thing can be said for Krug and Carlo. Brandon Carlo had an outstanding series as well, proving to be a, a Zdeno Chara light. Can you imagine if this guy performs half as good as Zdeno Chara does, uh, has in his career? Uh, I see a bright, bright future for this uh, second giant on the Boston defense. And Grizzlick and Moore, they, had, they were serviceable guys, but I, I think that they uh, got to hope that, that they can just continue to hold the fort. The other two pairings are going to log, I'd say, 45 minutes between them. So it's just up to Moore and Grizzlick not to do anything terrible and blow it for, for the Bruins in terms of the depth here. And Columbus needs to really find something in, in their depth on, on the blue line to kind of uh, offset the, the Bruins' attack. I think they can be exploited, particularly on home ice, where they can avoid the top pairing with their top scoring line. So I'm going to be interested to see if David Savard can elevate his game. Dean Kukan, an, an unknown quantity. Same can be said for the rest of, of the starters in the Columbus defense. So I think we're going to see something of a telltale in the first game, first couple of games in Boston where how uh, the Bruins try to avoid the uh, Wierenski-Jones pairing, and it might be on Columbus to try and split these guys up. That's something that uh, I haven't seen anybody talk about, so I'll raise that point. In terms of the goaltending matchup, well, uh, Tuka Rask was outstanding in the first round, but Bobrovsky was at least as equal, if not more. And I think I give a marginal edge to Bobrovsky if he can hold that level of play going forward. Rask has been a bit of a head case uh, from time to time. If I could be very blunt, guys, in my assessment, there are times where he goes missing because uh, he gets a little bit too fired up and, and loses his game. He needs to hold on to the, uh, the, the game that he found late in the series against the Maple Leafs to kind of level that matchup and uh, keep Bobrovsky from being a deciding factor. That's how I see it, Matt. Uh, what do you see in the Nets here in this series? Yeah, I agree. If whichever goaltender can maintain their mental acuity, for lack of a better term, that that's what's going to drive this series. And just one thing, I got to give love to Charlie McAvoy. He's a Long Beach kid, and I'm two towns over, so so that's something that always makes me smile. But yeah, it's it's going to come down to which, to which goaltender can keep their head in the game, which goaltender can stand on their head, and that will allow one of these teams to head into the Eastern Conference Finals. See what I did there, H? Nice, good move. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. Uh, for for me, I you know the way I look at it, uh, I think I agree. Both guys have uh, you know the have from time to time uh, kind of lost their their cool a bit. But I think Tuukka Rask has gotten that more under control than Bobrovsky at this point. And so I think for me, uh, it comes down to Bobrovsky more than anything else. Can he maintain? the current level of play. And I'm not so sure that he can. And then I think to Karras. So I guess what I'm saying is I think, but Rasky has the higher ceiling between the two and could outperform Rask. Um, but Rask is the more likely of them to kind of be steady and even. So it'll depend on whether Bob outperforms him or underperforms him. And, and, and kind of that's how I see uh, these two netminders uh, squaring off. All right, it's prediction time, guys. I'm going to go in and say Columbus continues the upset trend in these playoffs, and they're going to take the Bruins out in seven games. Matt, what are your, what's your call? I'm going the other way. I'm going Boston in seven. AJ, break the tie. Uh, I hate to do this to you, Paul, but I got to agree with Matt. I'm going to go Bruins in seven as well. Uh, I do think this is a seven game series. Uh, the only concern I have, you know, Boston obviously had the tough, tough first round, uh, but Columbus might be a little rusty for the number of days uh, that they've been sitting around, uh, you know, doing nothing. So we'll see what, uh, what shakes out. Um, but I'll, lead us right into the next one here we'll go uh the islanders at the hurricanes here season series overall uh you've got 3-1 uh, in favor of the islanders who really performed well uh down that stretch i think this is an intriguing matchup that we really i don't think anybody expected to see this i think most people thought we'd be looking at uh, penguins capitals again here uh instead we get kind of the unsung uh heroes in this group uh but i do think it could be an intriguing one paul I'll let you lead in uh with your forward uh, assessment on this group well i spoke about jordan eberly having a breakthrough through series in the first round and I think he's going to be continuing continue to be a factor here uh, as the Islanders load up a pretty impressive offensive uh, group on the top six players Matthew Barzal a real wonder kid uh, propped up uh, by the defensive structure here he's been allowed to play his game at a high level Anders Lee hasn't seen a drop off with the departure of Johnny T Tavares and continued to develop as a young power forward of note 
And uh, I think that line's going to obviously drive the offense. I'm a little concerned about the right flank on the, on the second line here. Josh Bailey and Brock Nelson find two-thirds of an offensive line. But Tom Kuhnhackle and Leo Komarov, I think that, that leaves the offense wanting a little bit on the right side here. And uh, they're going to need uh, to prop these guys up with guys like Beauvillier and Philpola developing, developing a bit of a chemistry uh, as a third unit here uh, to, to buoy this offense on the Islanders' side. On the flip side, though, I do see that Carolina is a team that will uh, continue to pose a challenge because of the youngsters here that have risen to the fore- forefront. Sebastian Ajo, Toivo Teravain, and two Finnish flashes that have been outstanding here uh, in, the, in the first round. And Nino Niederreiter finding a home. Uh, friends of the show would, and listeners of the show will know that I'm very high on this guy. And so they've got three Euro stars here that are, that are leading this offense. But it's the second line here with the grizzled veterans of Jordan Stahl and Justin Williams. You know these guys are ready to play at playoff time. And uh, they're going to be a tough out because that unit is going to be uh, solid checkers against the first line of their opponents and also do their part offensively. Brock McGinn is the third member of that group. But I think there's a real drop-off off- offensively in Carolina. And I think the Islanders will exploit that advantage. That's the way I see it breaking down offensively. Matt, chime in on, if you will. I'm going to truncate my answer here. Uh, both of these teams are neck and neck in face-off wins. Carolina took more shots in their series than the Islanders did, but the Islanders' penalty kill is really what jumps out at me, especially considering that Carolina did not do very well on their power play. So, unfortunately, I think this comes down to Barry Trotz and this comes down to the, the Islanders being hot. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Carolina has enough to to compete with the islanders i can't believe i'm saying it (laughs) (laughs) aj finish it off yeah so i'll kind of continue the theme here and and highlight some kind of uh you know x factor guys and and just to you know give our listeners a how to apply this in in your world these are guys that maybe you can steal uh for relatively cheap in your dfs contest uh so for me on carolina uh i'm looking at andre sveshnikov and whether or not he can come back from that concussion he had three points in the three games he played um so if he can get back in and and uh, i think he'll pick up and add another forward that can produce for carolina on the other side uh for the islanders I'm looking at, uh, you know, a, a guy I'm somewhat familiar with in Tommy Kunakel had two assists in the four games. Now, there may have been a factor of, of him trying to step up and produce better against his former club. Uh, and, and that's certainly a motivating factor for guys. But I think uh, he's got an opportunity here to get some top six minutes with Josh Bailey and Brock Nelson. I think that'll be uh, a huge factor as well. So those are my two uh, X factor guys here uh, heading into the, the forward complement defensively. I think we're seeing uh, a, a bit of a, you know, I, I, I kind of equate this Islanders group to what we saw out of the Golden Knights last year. You know, uh, a bit of an unsung group of group of guys here. Uh, you know, you look at point production. Uh, Devin Taves is is number one for them with just two assists. Otherwise, all of their offensive production has come uh, from the forward. So this is really a much more defensively minded group uh, first. And that's the exact opposite of what you're getting out of Carolina. Jakob Slavin leads the Hurricanes with nine helpers. And then Dougie Hamilton comes in at third with six points, three goals, three assists. And so they're really getting a ton of production out of their blue line. So for me, um, I, I know what they say, and it, it goes across all sports for, for a lot of scenarios, maybe not basketball, but defense wins championships. Uh, and I think defensive scoring is what wins championships for in my mind for for uh the nhl and so i think uh carolina gets a pretty big edge uh in terms of how their their blue lines match up here matt are are you taking the shutdown guys or or the offensively minded guys here yeah, the, the, the big thing has always been about the, the Icelanders blue line. And if you look at it like that, that then, yeah, of course, the, the, that advantage is going to swing uh, the other way, in my opinion. So if I have to pick, I'm going to pick Carolina's uh, blue blue line guys over the Islanders guys. But uh, I hate to say it. I, I'll give you my prediction now. I'll go out of order here. But I, I think the Icelanders take this thing in six. And uh, I, I think I think you're onto something there, Matt. I think that's a big advantage for uh, for 
Carolina on the blue line here over the Islanders. It's what can keep this series close. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think that the Islanders have this series in hand. Uh, jumping ahead to the predictions, too. We'll get AJ to do that when he does his assessment here. And then we'll finish up with the goalies. But I'm going with the Islanders in six as well. Uh, I think on the along the... Uh, Goaltending situation. I can't believe we're talking about a matchup between <laughs> Leonard and Mrazek in a second round of a playoff <laughs> series. And so that gives you perspective on just the nature of the upsets that we've seen to date in this series in the, this season. But I think on on the performance of the whole season, you got to give Leonard a slight edge, in my opinion. And Matt, uh, what do you see there? Yeah, I fully agree. And like you said, sometimes I hear myself speaking and I say, what am I saying? Like, we are saying these names, but that's why I think hockey and baseball are neck and neck for being the greatest games out there because guys can really thrive and guys can get hot. But I do agree with you that uh, the advantage does lie with the Icelanders. And AJ? Yeah, I think Robin Lerner can't maintain this as, as long as he has and so for me i'm going the other way guys i've got carolina uh taking this i'll, I'll go seven i think they'll need all of it i obviously have concerns about Morazic on the road um but he pulled it off in this one so i will go with hurricanes in seven all yeah, right AJ, love you i love you <laughs> the contrarian in you comes you you'll be my guy <laughs> the contrarian in in aj has finally come out here he's usually sided with one or the other of us matt but he's gone out on a limb so we'll see how that turns out for him we uh we want to take a look at the next series san jose versus colorado Boy, this is this shapes up as another matchup of ho- some high-octane offensive pieces. But when I look at the depth of the San Jose situation, I think there's a lot there, and, and I think it's too much for Colorado to counter. Uh, of course, the situation with uh, their linchpin offensively is a little bit unknown, and so we're going to wait for news on Pavelski here. I haven't seen anything. I don't know if, AJ, you have heard anything, but uh, that that means uh, Thomas Hurdle moves up into the first-line role. But Logan Couture uh, became kind of the heartbeat of this team late in that game, and he was one of the guys that rallied the club along with Joe Thornton late in that game. And uh, kind of an underrated superstar, I'll call him, is a guy that uh, could wind up being one of the top scorers in this year's playoff if uh, the San Jose run does continue. Timo Meyer, another young gun offensively, uh, they're loaded off up front in San Jose. And so I just think the depth of this offense will overcome the star power of the first unit that uh, that Colorado can ice. And I like the fact that they're looking at kind of spreading their offense a little bit. Gabriel Landeskog and Nate McKinnon on the top line. Miko Rantanen looks like he's going to drop down to the second unit with Derek Broussard, a guy who's finally cast properly in a second-line scoring role. He kind of floundered when he was with Pittsburgh. We talked about that during the course of the, the last season. But I think he's properly slotted there in the number two center slot. And Carl Soderberg is, is a good serviceable third line center that kind of might offset the, the star power a little bit but I, I think that there's too much in the San Jose offense here for for Colorado to contend with in this matchup Matt yeah I, I, I agree 100% uh, you, you mentioned Broussard and I always knew him to be a great face-off guy but I'm looking at some numbers here and that Colorado won the least amount of face-offs out of any team in the first round. Uh, That's telling to me. I also think that after what San Jose was able to pull off, they are riding high, no pun intended with Colorado. And I just think (laughs) that San Jose has too many, too many pieces here. AJ. Yeah. The, the forward X factors are going to be pretty straightforward here Uh, on Colorado. It's Derek Broussard. Can he wake up Uh, now? He only played the two games due to illness, but can he figure his game out and start producing? And for the Sharks, 100 percent, the only X factor to consider for them is whether or not Pavelski is playing in this in this series or this first game or not, whether he misses time. So uh, that's really the breakdown there. Defensively, it's also pretty short and sweet. Uh, I think there's more depth out of Colorado. They've got the youngster uh, maker uh, stepping in. They've got Barry producing, but on the other end, you've got Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. I mean, it's hard to knock any D group that uh, is sporting those two guys. So uh, for me, I'm going to take the firepower here as well in the Sharks with Burns and Carlson, because these are two guys that are heads and tails above anything that Colorado can put out there. And Tyson Berry is no slouch, but he's certainly no Burns or Carlson. Matt, uh, what do you think? Burns and Carlson or uh, the kind of deeper Colorado team? 
Burns and Carlson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always going to be. Listen, I remember the old Edmonton Oilers, right? And Kevin Lowe and Ray Rootsalainen and Paul Coffey. But deep depth is good, but not when you're dealing with the two elite defensemen in the league, save for Victor Hedman. I, I just think that this is why San Jose made the moves that they made before the season. This is what they paid for. So this is what has to show up. That's right. And uh, don't forget Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, also a guy who's been well de- decorated in terms of Team Canada colors over the years. No slouch in the defensive end, but also upped his game offensively in the second half of the season. So a huge advantage for me uh, in the series breakdown when I look at this matchup against Colorado. Sure, they have uh, Tyson Berry, who uh, had an outstanding, if underrated, season. Eric Johnson, to me, could be a, a guy that closes the gap a little bit, too, uh, in terms of carrying the offensive load. I know Ian Cole is a, a former favorite of, of uh, AJ as well. So they do have some pieces, but the star power is just heavily in favor of the uh, San Jose Sharks in this one. Looking at the goaltending matchup, Marty Jones. Uh, I, I think this guy's numbers should have been a lot better in the regular season playing it behind a team like this. And uh, he, But he did come up big when they needed him in, in periods during the last series. And I think he's going to have to do much the same here. I think... He is a bit of a saw-off against the Colorado net mining situation. Philip Grubauer, the surprise starter in the first series in some quarters, but I think he is a guy that Colorado is going to have to rally around. And uh, I I call it a bit of a saw-off in the nets, Matt. I don't know if you see it any differently. The only thing I see is that Colorado has shown that they can be diverse with with their personnel in between the pipes. And if that causes a problem for San Jose, cool. But I just think, and we said this on our our last show too, it's which Marty Jones shows up. And right now it looks like there's a confidence in Marty Jones. And like you said, his numbers should be better. If he plays to the way that we know he can play, the Sharks are unstoppable. Series prediction time. I'm going to say San Jose in six games. Matt, what's your call? I'm going San Jose in five. AJ. Uh, We're all in on the Sharks here. I'll go San Jose in six. And the only reason I'm going six is because what Matt said, are we getting games one, two, three, Marty Jones, or are we getting games, uh, you know, five, six, seven, uh, and who shows up? All right, let's wrap it up with a look at St. Louis and Dallas. And uh, I want to make sure Matt gets his thoughts in because we've got to let him go shortly. So, Matt, I'm going to let you lead it off with an assessment of the forward ranks between these two teams that I think are, are fairly evenly matched. Oh, yeah, 100 uh, percent. This to me is the intriguing series of the second round. It's going to be bruising uh, up front. You, you have a great array of talent. I do think that Radulov might be the X factor. But then again, guys are stepping up for for St. Louis uh, on the blue line. Also, you have a, a nice blend for both teams in the nets. You have a nice blend for both teams. This is a seven game series. And even though I want Dallas to win for Ranger draft purposes, I think the Blues are hot, and I think the Blues take it in seven. AJ, your thoughts here? Yeah, you know, I, I think Matt kind of broke down the whole series, uh, you know, pretty well in a in a nutshell. There, uh, you know, my X factors for the forwards are Patrick Maroon for St. Louis. Can he uh, produce a little bit more? Had two points in the six games, and then on the other side for Dallas. Uh, it's hard not to say that Zuccarello is an X factor, even though he's like the biggest name, but you know, they missed a ton of time with him during the regular season. So, uh, it's what those guys can do. I think that'll determine this. The defense, uh, is pretty evenly matched as well as, as we've all kind of alluded to, uh, that, you know, the bigger difference here is that, uh, they've got Klingberg and Heiskanen, I think for Dallas, uh, who are slightly better. Um, and then net minding, you have Ben Bishop, uh, you know, versus the youngster Bennington, all kind of evenly matched to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'm going to go on the other side. I'm going to go Dallas, uh, in seven here. Well, I like the St. Louis depth offensively. To me, that's going to be the tiebreaker in this series. When you look at the, t- the fact they've got Tyler Bozak and Patrick Maroon as two-thirds of a third line, that gives them an edge over anything that Dallas can ice because, AJ, you and I have talked about the lack of depth in, in uh, Dallas's forward rank. So a big ed- check mark in the St. Louis cor- corner on the forwards. And I think a similar, uh, a bit of a saw-off in the defense situation, certainly P- Petrangelo and Pareko give, uh, give the star power advantage 
to, uh, to Dallas, I think. They can tell you about uh, John Klingberg. Matt Miro Heiskanen's been a bit of a revelation, but I like the star power of St. Louis and the depth overall of that defensive structure. And I think Ben Bishop has a marginal edge over Jordan Bennington, but I'm going to stick with the story that has been the Blues in the second half of the season and take the over the Dallas Stars in a seven-game series. I want to thank Matt uh, for joining us. He was outstanding again. AJ, you and I are going to switch gears now, and uh, we'll, we'll remind our listeners to follow Matt, uh, Matt K, at Matt underscore Striker underscore, and with that, we will switch gears and get, get into our FanDuel segment now, AJ. We've got a couple of games on tap tonight, and we'll remind our listeners that when we're talking about FanDuel, we're talking about uh, the fact that over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, we invite you to sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. Uh, tonight, we have two games opening up the second round. Columbus travels to Boston for a 7 o'clock start, and then the doubleheader finishes up with a game at 9.30 in St. Louis. The Dallas Stars come calling. AJ, what does the optimizer say in terms of the matchup for this evening's contest? Yeah, so uh, an interesting look. You know, with the shorter slate, the the optimizer is going to use a, a couple of guys against uh, against the netminer, which is not something I generally recommend. But I'll at least just put it out there uh, for our listeners to at least evaluate from there. Uh, at the center position, the optimizer likes Tyler Sagan at eighty four hundred, and then Ryan O'Reilly coming in at sixty five hundred, and that feels really low for what he's been able to produce. So uh, I'm I'm hard pressed to to advise against putting him in your lineup because it seems uh, like you know a steal at that price tag uh, on the wingers it goes uh, to Boston's David Pasternak as the big spender 8200 Vladimir Tarasenko for 7900 and then a pair of cheaper options Marcus Johansson whose name I mentioned earlier at 3900 and then Alexander uh, Teixeira for Columbus at 3700 a lot of that factoring into uh, you know him getting power play looks on the second unit uh, defensively, Optimizer likes Colton Pareko at 47, uh, and then Essa Lindell for 3,800. I'm not really as high on that, uh, even though he is with that second power play unit. Um, I think there's other, if you really want to go to Dallas for, for offense, there's maybe some other blue line guys you can look at there. Uh, and then in the nets, the optimizer, like Sergey Bobrovsky, uh, 7,700. Uh, like I said, you know, based on the optimizer, it's using Johansson and Pasternak against Bobrovsky. Um, but it does get difficult admittedly to, to avoid that when you're looking at just two games. So, uh, that's what the optimizer did. Uh, Paul, how did your lineup shake out? All right. Well, I'm reminding our listeners that you have to pick players from three teams, so you have to you can stack a couple, and then you got to pick an outlier. is is my strategy tonight, and so I'm going with my gut, saying that Columbus. Uh, had a bit of a rest, and so I think their stars will be all fired up to to give the the Bruins a, a hard time in Game One. It's their best chance to get a leg up here, and I think they take full advantage of that opportunity. And that's why my lineup is uh, heavily laden with Blue Jackets. And I'll start that off with Matt Duchesne uh, for sixty eight hundred dollars, uh, coming in with an average of fourteen point one FanDuel points per game. I like that uh, situation for him tonight. Ryan O'Reilly for the Dal- for the St. Louis. Uh, homestanding blues against the visiting stars. He's in at $6,500. That's a pretty cheap price tag for a pair of number one centers, I think. And so it allows me some flexibility with the rest of my roster. And uh, the outlier that I picked is for the Bruins. Danton Heinen is a guy who might get uh, a look in top six minutes. He might even finish uh, with a look on the first line if they try to spread their offense by dropping Pasternak to the second unit. So I'm hoping that they do. And and, uh, Heinen rides shotgun with the big boys. And for $4,200, that's an excellent value play if if that comes to pass. David Perron is another guy I I figure that St. Louis has to rely on here. And uh, for $5,600, I think it's a strong value for a top six forward here. And then I look at the star power for Columbus to fill out my wingers. And that's Cam Atkinson at $7,100. And Artemi Panarin, who is really going to make the Blue Jackets wish they could find a way to retain this guy by continuing his strong playoff run. I think it starts tonight. And at $7,700 against the Bruins, I love that fact that I can get him in the lineup. Uh, I got some some pretty good star power on the blue line here, pretty cheap when I look at the price tags for Colton Pareko, for St. Louis, and Miro Heiskanen. 
for Dallas. They're they're opposing one another in that matchup tonight, but I get them both for less than $5,000, so I'm all in there. And then in the net, Sergei Bobrovsky uh, is reminding everybody that he's a world-class goalie, one of the best in the game, and I think he is going to provide Columbus with their best chance to beat Boston if he plays to the top of his game, and I think that begins tonight in, in uh, Beantown. So, AJ, what's your lineup looking like tonight? Well, it's looking pretty similar to, to what you put together there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm much more in on, on Columbus and St. Louis tonight. Uh, and so we have a couple of overlaps here and it starts at the center position. I'm also using Maddie Duchesne and Ryan O'Reilly. The price tag on those guys is, is conveniently low uh, there. And that makes it a really attractive option. I'm also going to use Cam Atkinson. Uh, the one kind of difference here is I'm going to round it out with their, their other winger here and use Ryan Dezingo for 4,500. I, th- I think, uh, you know, stacking that whole second line uh, is a really good option there. I go back to St. Louis with Oscar Sunquist. He's coming in at just 4,200. Uh, so a pretty good value pick there. And then we talked about him earlier in the show. Matt Zuccarello is my kind of outlier guy, as, as you called it, Paul, uh, for 6,300. And so uh, defensively, I'm also on Miro Heiskanen as well. 4,300 for a guy uh, putting up the numbers that he is in, in points, I think is great. I'm on Alexander Petrangelo rather than Colton Pareko. But again, we're looking at the same team and the same matchup there. And then in the Nets, Sergei Bobrovsky. So it seems uh, like an even sweep between the optimizer, you and I, uh, that Bob is the guy to go with tonight. Uh, and obviously that uh, would indicate most of us aren't looking real high on Boston in this first game matchup. Uh, I do want to throw out before we close out the show, I do want to throw out one quick uh, correction here. I said, uh, said some numbers about what uh, the, the penalty uh, I said, it was eight penalties for Dallas earlier in the year. It was actually 19 uh, or in the playoffs. And so uh, a few more than what I said, but right in the middle. So they weren't too high, too low uh, in terms of that. So still a credit to their hundred percent PK there. Well, and before we sign off, I want to alert our listeners to the schedule going forward. We're going to come back with our next show at the beginning of the third round, whenever that might be. So the day before the third round begins is when we project to do our next episode. Once again, we'd like to thank Matt Kay, who you can follow at Matt underscore Striker underscore for his outstanding contribution to today's show. And we hope that we can get him in for the preview of the third round when that comes to pass. That wraps up this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen to into Podcast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 